everything that Jesus had done and taught while he was alive. And so it is the way you wait. It is the way in which you, you brood upon the promise of God that determines the manifestation of the promise. And so there are many of us that God has brought into the season of the fa access fast, that God has brought into the season of waiting simply because he has given us a sure word. He has released something over us concerning our future and he does not want us to miss it. The reason why God has called many of us here is because the Lord is teaching us all over again what it means to wait, how to wait, how to seek the Lord, how to tarry in his presence until the manifestation of his word. And so every time we wait effectively, we find out that the word of God does not fail. Every time we wait efficiently, we find out that the promise of God is bound to come to pass. And so when Satan wants to attack you, one of the first thing he attacks is your waiting culture. He attacks the way you wait. And so there was a time when people and believers knew how to wait on God. There was a time when people waited and sometimes they would go to the mountain. They would separate themselves from days. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have television. There was no Netflix. And so when people said, I am waiting on the Lord, they knew how to wait on God. They knew how to put a distance between the world and the desire that they have um, to, that they want to come to pass. They knew how to put a distance between the word of the Lord and the regular culture of their lives. So when Satan wants to attack a generation, what he does is that he begins to attack the way that they wait because he knows that the word of God is bound to come to pass as long as the word finds a man that knows how to tarry under the weight of the word that knows how to tarry under the weight of the word. So Satan begins to attack how we separate ourselves. Satan begins to attack what we call a valuable sacrifice, what we call an acceptable season of separation. Satan attacks it. Where are the days when people did dry fasting for 30 days, seven days, water fast, fruit fast. Satan begins to attack the way we wait. And part of the things that he does is that he introduces a new doctrine about grace. He introduces a new doctrine about the boundaries of God. And when I was teaching you people in one of my series this year, I said what the enemy does is that he would overstretch the boundaries of grace. And so he says to Eve, Eve says, in the day we eat of it, we shall surely die. And he says to her, you shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. There is mercy available. God knows that you work nine to five, so you don't really need to fast at six o'clock. God knows that you have a family, so you cannot really take out time and pray for two hours in the morning, then in the evening again, you're joining another session. You will not surely die because God understands. Satan begins to redefine the laws of the kingdom. He begins to redefine the standards of consecration. And the moment a generation accepts it and they build a culture, a religious culture around the redefined standards, they are bound to be a generation of wicked priests that do not have the power to command the altar. So this is the, 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 the way and the scheme of hell to steal inheritance from a generation. He begins to redefine the godly, holy, sacred standards of their priesthood. 
so that every time they rise up to speak at the altar, every time they rise up to command the different entities in the realm of the spirit, they get no response. Because you see, authority in the spirit realm is predicated upon the weight of your sacrifice. And so a man that whose sacrifice has no weight, has no authority in the spirit. The Bible speaks concerning Jesus. He says, there is no greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for his brother. And this is the reason why God had to send Jesus. Because if Abraham, a man in the flesh that did not have the Holy Ghost, could afford to take his son, his only son, and sacrifice him to God, he was willing to do it. Then God in heaven had no choice but to sacrifice his own son. And so here is Jesus. Jesus then comes. I remember Jesus is God. So there is no greater love. There is no greater God than this, that God should lay down his life for us. So the authority that God has is not just on the fact that he's the author and finisher. It's not just the fact that he's Alpha and Omega. But it's also on the fact that God is a God of sacrifice. He also has made the ultimate sacrifice for us. He died for us. So the moment Jesus was crying out on that cross, God was also carrying the burden of the death that came upon Jesus. Now you begin to realize that Jesus Christ has a name that is higher than every other name. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. I need you to stay with me today and I need you to hear me because we are entering the topic of sacrifice. And I begin to see that part of what Satan has done is that he is trying to erase um, the, the, the culture of sacrifice in our generation. So that what people know now is take care of yourself first. Do you, you know, do away with anything toxic to you. Self-love, your opinion, what you like. And so the Bible declares that in the last days, men shall become lovers of self. It is one of the signs of the spirit of the last days. It is one of the signs of the spiritual architecture upon which the Antichrist will ride, the spirit of selfishness. Where it is all about self-love, self-care, self-protection, self-provision. This is one of the spiritual architectures that would provide a landing pad for the Antichrist spirit. You know, exactly my truth. And so it is all about self. So it's a generation that does not understand sacrifice anymore. Children that don't know how to share. And so sometimes my, my kids want a drink or they want something. And I purposely tell them, no, you can't have it all. Rather, you guys can have half of it. And then that half, share that half between yourselves. And then sometimes my son is looking at the fridge and he's like, but mommy, we have like 15 other bottles. Why do we have to do that? I'm like, just share. And they just don't have to have everything right now. And so you need to understand that we have to, once again, teach our children sacrifice. But the way to do it is by first teaching ourselves. First teaching ourselves sacrifice. You don't wait till you become a billionaire before you bless your brother. You don't wait to have everything you need 
before you take care of the need of your sister. You don't wait to have an abundance before you remember to ask someone, how can I help you? I need you to hear me. You don't turn your eyes away from the need of the church because you are like, you know what? God knows I have my own needs. It does not work like that. A generation that does not understand sacrifice is a generation that cannot evoke the presence of God. You can't. Because sacrifice is one of the keys that opens doors. It opens doors. It opens doors. When you find a man that is diligent in sacrificing, you have found a man that will receive the diligence of the grace of God, the diligent backing of the throne of God, because heaven honors sacrifice. What was it that caused Cornelius to receive the gospel? The Bible says that he was a devout Jew. So he did not even understand Christianity the way we did or the apostles. He just served God. But the Bible spoke about his sacrifices. He spoke about his gifts. He spoke about the things that he gave. And the Bible says it had come up to heaven. You need to understand what I'm talking about. In fact, let, let, let us go quickly. I, I need to find that scripture. I feel like there's something that the Holy Spirit is hammering on. Um, and we're going to look at it. Because we're talking about the fourth thing under the components that make up uh, an effective gate system. And one of the components is um, sacrifice. And so we are going to look at sacrifice. So the, 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 the church had come to a place where there was going to be a transition in the body of Christ. There was going to be a transition in the church. There was going to be a transition in the destiny of the gospel. And you need to understand what I'm talking about. So heaven has experienced different dispensations. And there have been different dispensations in time, you understand? So we have the dispensation of, you know, human government. We have the dispensation of law. We have the dispensation of covenant. We've had the dispensation of um, grace. You know, there are different dispensations. But all the dispensations that have happened on the earth were marked by men. So men always mark dispensations. We're coming back to Cornelius so that you will see the relevance of a man like Cornelius, how powerful he was, how excellent the things that he did were before God. Um, so I just need to find something real quickly. As I was talking about dispensations, I just feel the need to um, share it with you. We all know the different dispensations that have existed um, in the earth, the different dispensations that we've had. Does everybody know all the dispensations? I've taught it several times. Are we together? Okay, some people say no, we don't know all the dispensations. Okay, let me, let me I can take a quick detour, right, guys? Let me take a quick detour and just elaborate on all the dispensations. Uh, why am I looking for this? Okay, you know what? So, please just give me a second. I'm sure if I can remember the first one, I can remember all. I know that there've been seven dispensations 
And the first dispensation was um, in the time of man. I think... Uh, okay, so the first dispensation is the dispensation of innocence. Dispensation of innocence. And so this was from Genesis 1, um, 28 to 30, and up to Genesis 2. 15 to 17 thereabout. So the dispensation of innocence speaks about the time um, before which uh, man sinned. So before man sinned, he was living in a state of innocence and, you know, he didn't know there were many things that he didn't know. There were many things that he wasn't um, involved in, as it were. And then the second dispensation is the dispensation of conscience. So the moment man fell, his conscience came alive. And so you see the dispensation of conscience um, come up from Genesis. Genesis 3, um, um, Genesis 3, yes, from like verse 8 to verse 20, um, verse 8. Genesis 3 from verse 8, I believe, after man fell, and the Bible says that, and they saw that they were naked, and they began to take leaves to cover themselves, and they were doing all of that. So their conscience came alive. They became aware of sin. They became aware of transgression. They became aware of trespassing. They became aware of of you know God in a different way. They said when we when we heard your voice, we were afraid. Like, why were you afraid? What what are you afraid of? So their conscience had come alive, you know, to the fact that look, we have done something wrong. There's penalty for sin. And we see man going through um this dispensation of you know conscience um until there came a time where there was the dispensation of human government. That's the third dispensation. And the dispensation of human government was marked by people like Nimrod. And you see um, Nimrod and all of these people who said, hey, come, let us bake bricks. What we're looking at in Genesis 11 today, where these guys came, came together and they began to establish a governmental system that was anti the original governmental system that God put in place in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. And then you realize that, you know, human government hasn't really changed as it were. And so when human government began to form, part of the foundations of that dispensation of human government is the usury of man, man using man, man breaking man, man ruling over man. It's part of the spirit that governed that dispensation. And we see it still in the earth till today. And then you see the, um, um, the fourth dispensation is the dispensation of covenant the dispensation of covenant the dispensation of covenant is when god made a covenant with abraham and we begin to see that from the time that abraham was introduced into the mix god it was almost as though the entire focus of the whole earth shifted to Abraham and the story of the world was now told from Abraham going forward and then the entire gospel was on Abraham going forward and it makes you wonder to yourself what was happening to the rest of the earth what was happening to people in China in Australia in in other parts of the world that were not um under Abraham's jurisdiction it all existed but you would realize that part of the way that God has always worked is that God has always sought for a man. And I was telling people about this um, um, yesterday, about the power of a man. 
And how you must understand that part of what Satan seeks to do is to make you believe that you are irrelevant in the, in the grand scheme of things. It's to make you believe that you play no role in the possibilities of the heavens. You have no power to alter, to change, or to contribute to the destiny of the world. That is the lie of Satan because he does not want a generation of spiritually and heavily aware people to rise up. Because when we all become aware of the power and potential we have as the people that have been chosen by God, automatically the destiny of the earth will shift. And so that's why God put something like this together. That's why God put something like this together. Hachi, take it down. Play it slower. You're moving too fast. You know, so um, God put this together um, so that we there's an awareness that is awakened on the inside of us. So the moment the covenants were given to Abraham, God then began to speak and then God then began to decide the destiny of humanity from the point of the covenants that he made with Abraham. So when we begin to talk about access and we begin to talk about the power of covenants and access, you need to understand the importance of it because the whole earth and the whole world and the destinies of generations was um, established upon the covenant that God made with one man. One man. And sometimes God will speak to him in dreams. Sometimes God will speak to him in visions. Sometimes God will walk with him and he will tell him stories. Sometimes God will send angels to him. And this was how God established the covenant. So my question to you is how can you imagine that the dreams and the visions that you have had are of no relevance. If an entire dispensation could be founded upon what God was saying to one man, how can you take for granted the things that God has said to you? How can you take for granted the things you've written in your journal? How can you take for granted the dreams you've had? Is there any way God spoke to Abraham that is different from how he's talking to you? Is there any way that God established the things he established with him that is so different. That is much grand than what he's doing with you. So there is a there is a kind of dampening of the awareness of a generation to the power of the voice of God. So now we are so used to hearing God that we take his voice for granted. We are so used to hearing God that we no longer know that it is a treasured moment when the Lord speaks to you. That we no longer believe that the voice of God is to be hallowed. That everything he says is true. So now God gives you a word. God gives you a dream. God gives you a vision. And you no longer feel the need to run after it. God places an inspiration in your heart. Places an idea in your soul. And you don't feel the need to chase it. God tells you, I'm going to make you the next governor. I'm going to make you the next president. And you don't seem to be able to believe that the word of the Lord can supersede the politics of men. Somehow, God's word has been reduced to the consciences of men. God's word has now been reduced to the circumstances of locations. When his word is meant to be sovereign, when his word is meant to be dominant, when his word is meant to be all powerful, when his word is meant to be the residue of inspiration, knowledge, when his word is supposed to be the ultimate blueprint from where all other blueprints are extracted, the word of the Lord. It was upon his word that every dispensation was founded. 
So you see that the, the, the fourth dispensation, the dispensation of covenant, and that was marked by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of these people forward to the fifth dispensation, which is the dispensation of law. And we see the dispensation of law emerge um, um, with the children of Israel, with Moses. So when God then began to give them laws to say, this is how you should live, this is how you should live. And then it, it all began to change. Now, who marked the dispensation of law? It was Moses, another man, another man, another boy who was bound to die. But somehow his mother found a reason why he should be alive. And his mother did everything to keep him. And then he was adopted into the house of the very people who wanted to kill him. And then fast forward 40 years later, he's a, after his adoption, he is awakened to the fact that, look, these are my people. And I would rather be with them than enjoy the beauty and the glory of, of, of the house of Pharaoh. He makes that decision to make a transition, of which, by the way, in, uh, in the month of October, I think the second weekend in October, <laughs> I am running my course called The Shift, Making Successful Transitions. I would advise you to go ahead now and um, make pay for that course and be part, part of it because I'm going to be teaching in October what it means to transition and how you can shift from where you are to where you should be. And, you know, you may say, I've taken the course before. Yes, but the person who taught you this course last year is not the person that will teach you this year. It was easy of last year. EC of this year is going to teach you entirely differently. So um, making successful transitions um, is part of what I'm going to teach you. And I have a book from here to there, making successful transitions. Make sure you get the book. You can get it on Amazon. Look, the reason why I'm saying these things to you is because this is the season where we must arm ourselves on every side. If you ask me to tell you the fullness of what is about to come, I can't tell you what it is. But I know when I'm in a God moment. I know when I'm in a God moment. I know when the calendar has shifted from Kairos to Kronos, from Kronos to Kairos rather. I know when it has shifted from the chronological order of man into the set moments of the spirit. And I can assure you that we are in a Kairos moment. So this is the reason why all these investments and all this pouring are coming. So if you're listening to me and you feel like, P.I., I believe that, there, there are some things I need to enter into and I need clear cut strategies. First thing you have to do is go to Amazon now, buy the book. There are some questions people ask me. I don't even answer anymore. I just tell them, go get my book. Go read. When you finish reading it, then come back, let's talk. Because part of what I did in the book was to, you know, um, write like six things you need to know, seven things you need to know, eight things you need to know, you know, about this. And I tried to, it was very, very clinical as opposed to, you know, just, my normal style. And the reason why I did that was I wanted people to be able to open the book at different seasons in life and say, here is where I'm at. Here is where I'm at. This, these are the two things I need to do. So get from here to there and then get the shift. I think somebody put up the link for the shift course. So get the shift and in October, prepare yourself because we're going to sit in class and we're going to, for 20 hours, we will distill knowledge from the throne of God. And so that for the rest of your life, you will never come into a season where you don't know how to successfully transition. All right. So um, you see that, that the next dispensation is the dispensation of law. And that was marked by Moses. And so Moses goes from Pharaoh's palace 
um, to the wilderness and then back again. And Moses had this encounter with God. And then he goes back into Egypt and all of this back and forth. But it was marked by one man. And a captivity of 400 years ended because one man chose to believe that God had given him access strategies that were going to be beneficial, not just to himself, but to generations. And then you go to the sixth dispensation, which is um, the dispensation of grace. And so that's the dispensation that we enjoy through Jesus Christ. And we know that through the blood, through the death of Jesus and his victory at the cross, we have now received grace to be able to come boldly before the throne of God. The things that were inaccessible to us have now become the things that we can freely have. The hardcover is available. You can get the hardcover Mandy on Amazon. So there's the hardcover on Amazon. Um, so we now have by grace every single thing that Jesus died for. Now the seventh dispensation is what we have in the millennial reign. And so um, it is called the dispensation of divine government, I think, if I remember very well. So this is going to be the dispensation that... Um, of the time when Jesus comes back and Jesus rules for a thousand years. So that's going to be the government of Jesus. And so even though the Antichrist will still be on, on the earth and the people that have taken the mark of the beast will still be on the earth, but Jesus is going to come back with you and I. Amen. Can I get an amen? We're coming back with Jesus. So we're going to come back with Jesus and we're going to take over the government that the Antichrist has established for seven years and we're going to rule for a thousand years with Jesus. Amen thousand years i haven't lived up to 70 years i can't imagine now living a thousand years under jesus's government so when they ask oh who is the president of the world is jesus so we'll see him on the news we'll see him in our houses he'll visit our countries so the things we're talking about are not far so when i'm teaching you about the behavior of royalty and i'm teaching you about kings and priests it's not far very soon, our master will be enthroned as the master of the whole earth. Very soon, our master will rule us. We will have policies. Some of you will be sitting in, in Jesus' cabinet. You'll be part of the people that are crafting the policies for the world. You'll be part of the people that are crafting the new policies for education. You'll be crafting the policies for development in nations, road building, communication, you know, all kinds of industries. How will money work? Buying and selling and trading. We will know what it means for Jesus to be on top of every mountain. And some of us will be part of it. Me, I just want to be his PA. You understand? I love to rule and reign, but I love PA work. I said, so is there anything else you like? All right, fantastic. I have that covered. And um, what consider it done, sir. Sorry. Um, yeah, here is a cup of your coffee with this and this and cream and sugar. Yeah, fantastic. When you like, so you see, I want to have a word with you. Um, I think you're due for a promotion. I'll say, Lord, I better leave me where I be like this. I love it. I love this work. You understand? So yeah, somebody wants to be protocol officer. Let's be uh, vying for position now because, you know, that's how James and John, the sons of Zebedee, did. Their mother came to tell him, Jesus, please, in your kingdom, just arrange my boys. You know, when you get there, put this one to your right, put this one to your left. You understand? Hey, even though Jesus gave her one kind of answer, but are they not with him today? They are with him. So somebody wants to be minister of finance. Oh, I see you, whoever you are. But God hears your prayers. Hallelujah. Somebody wants to come and take my role. Who wants to do secretary? 
Okay, you will work in my executive office. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Amen. Wardrobe manager is there. Very good. I love the minstrel. Yes, you are hired. Praise Jesus. Speaker of Parliament, Chief of Staff, ah, Natalie. Hallelujah. Hey, Jesus, you are seeing, oh, Jesus, you are seeing, oh, we are asking, we are asking. Please join us. And one other thing I want to do. Somebody wants to be any work. Hallelujah. <laughs> customer service. Hey, that's a strong role, oh. Because, you know, customer service will have to be polite. You have to be the full representation of Christ. Oh, cook, chef, cook who wants to be head of hospitality. Yes. And you know, Jesus likes food. Go and look at the Bible. Any small thing, he will say, let us eat. Zacchaeus, we're coming to your house to have dinner. Small thing, let's go to the upper room. Next thing, let's go for a wedding. So, so, so the devices came to complain. You people are always eating. This is not how other... And disciples and other masters do their own. Why are you always eating something? Uh -huh. So when Jesus comes, we will eat. You understand? All these diets. Well, let me not speak further. But organizing secretary, doing you are hired. Food taster, haba. <laughs> Head usher. Okay, Ruth, Ruth, I will send your petition to God. Somebody wants to be an agricultural economist. The Lord has heard you. Amen. Hey, praise God. <laughs> we will all be there. We will all work with him. You understand? We will rule with him. Our uh, uh, first lady all the way. Well, he doesn't have wife now. Okay, you mean in Nigeria, your husband will be president in that um, in the dispensation. You will be the first lady. Okay, I get it. It's all right. Policy managers are here. All right, I think Jesus has his full squad ready. I think this full squad is ready. So he can just move into office now. So um <laughs> you see, you see what I what I said about your imagination. Ah, Uchina, fantastic word. That means you'll be flying around the world because they'll be taking many pictures, you know. Um, because we're going to be God's resistant army. Remember, the Antichrist will still be on earth. So there's going to be a force from hell trying to resist us. He, his government and his troops. Remember, there's going to be a war that will happen and they will all gather. So there's going to be two parallel governments running at the same time. So that period is not just that we're just going to be on earth. And there'll, 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 sometimes there'll be uprisings and God will have to send some of you to go and sort out the uprising in different nations. Jesus will deploy some of you as soldiers. And the reason why he's going to do that is because the time has not come for him to finish them. But after a thousand years, they will all gather. That's what they call the battle of Amagadon. And when they gather, the Bible says fire will come out of the mouth of Jesus. He's not even going to um, fight with them or like Chinese movie. If I say, you, Lucifer, I'm, I've warned you for four years now. Yet you were coming after my people. Then he will now say, watch out, watch out, watch out. You, I'm going to kill you. You kill my brother. No, Jesus is not going to do all of that. He's just going to open his mouth. Fire. And boom, all of them consume, finish, death, hell, the beast. Everything will be cast into the lake of fire. Victory forevermore. The whole earth will be transformed. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all of it transformed. So imagine working on that David. Look at me in my PA office. Don't I say, ma'am, um, David is here. Um, he's here with Abraham. They're here to see the master. Hey, God. Oh, hey, how will I do in that my office? 
Let me just concentrate for now. Let's let's stay on access for now. Hi. Imagine my PA, whatever. They are calling me and telling me that uh, Enoch is, 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 is waiting for the master. Is he available? <laughs> Jesus, we say, is he manage my calendar? You cannot just be letting everybody else say, Jesus, I just want to meet him. Please accept this meeting, please. For my sake, Lord. Thank you so much. Um, so this is how our life is going to be. You understand? And if you become eternity minded, every holy sacrifice becomes worth it. Eternity makes your sacrifices worth it. I cannot imagine living forever without Jesus. I can't. I don't even think the fires of hell would be enough pain compared to the knowledge of the fact that Christ is no longer with me. Ah, that would be more painful than anything else. Not even the fire and the torment. It is of greater torment to lose the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is of greater torment to not hear his voice again, to have tasted it and to lose it. Ah, I cannot afford it. So when I am setting the boundaries around my life, I'm preserving my altar. It is for this reason. Because my imagination has already engaged the life to come. And I can tell you, it is worth it. The Bible says Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And because of that city, he says he saw it from afar off. Even though he did not attain it in his time. But Abraham counted it a worthy sacrifice. He counted it a good enough reason to give himself and to give his life and everything that he had for that which he could see. Some of us are sacrificing today and giving because we don't want to go to hell. We are trying to secure our salvation with our sacrifices, forgetting that there is nothing you can give that will secure salvation. Salvation is only secured by the blood and it is received by man by faith. That is what secures salvation. Our faith receiving what Jesus has secured through his blood. But when we sacrifice, we are not doing it because we want to go to heaven. We are doing it because we know we are in heaven. For we are seated with him in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. We are seated with him above the rulership of the kingdom of darkness. And so where you sit determines how you adjust yourself. So why am I wearing a yellow jacket at 7.30 p.m., maybe 8 p.m. at night? My mates have gone to work and pulled their jacket. Me, I have worn my own. Because this is my reality. This is where my own work is starting, part two. This is where I sit as a minister. I sit as a deliverer. I sit as one who enforces the laws of Christ. I sit as one who conveys the intentions of God. Where I sit determines how I arrange myself. Because I know my office, then even my clothing, my language, my calendar, everything changes according to where I sit. So because we know we are in heaven, we make sacrifices the way heaven makes. We don't make the way the earth makes. I don't know if somebody's with me. Your culture is determined by your location. So we know we are in heaven. We have come to Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So our culture is determined by our location. My culture is not determined by Nigeria. 
My culture is not determined by Africa. My culture is not determined by, I now relocated and went to Italy. The next day, when you see me three, three uh, months from now, is bomb shot. I used to come and preach a crusade. My culture is not determined by location. My culture is determined from a superior place. And it is called where Christ is seated in heavenly places. So that's what determines the sacrifices I make. So I say this to you because dispensations have come and gone and they have risen and they have fallen upon the backs of men who were willing to believe that the word of the Lord was greater than the circumstances of their lives. Now, I was talking about Acts chapter 10 and I was talking about a man called Cornelius who was a man of sacrifice. Because remember, that's where we are at. We're talking about the, the fourth thing that makes up an effective gate system. And sacrifice is the fourth thing. So Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, open it. And I'm going to try to read quickly. Excuse me. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. If you're at home and you have a physical Bible, get it, please. There was something about turning scriptures, opening the Bible, reading it. It's part of the sacrifice. You understand? That sacrifice is needed for you to treasure the word of the Lord. So open your Bibles. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. A centurion. A, a, con, con, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Lord, heal my eyes. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian, Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So first thing, Cornelius was a family man. Him and his whole family were God-fearing. So he taught everyone in his family to be God-fearing. So Cornelius did not pray in the morning. While his children did not know how to pray. That was not the case of Cornelius. Cornelius did not use to fast. While Cornelius' wife did not understand that there was something called fasting. It says him and his family were devout and God-fearing. The third thing about Cornelius was that Cornelius was a giver, not any kind of giver. The Bible says that Cornelius gave generously, generously. Remember, we're talking about sacrifice. It says to those in need and prayed to God regularly. That was the fourth thing about Cornelius. Cornelius was a man of prayer. So number one, family life. Number two, devotion and God-fearing. Number three, giving, sacrifice, and number four, prayer. These were the four markers of the man called Cornelius. These were the pillars. These were the um, um, foundation upon which the next move that entered the church came through. Now, Cornelius might have thought, I, I'm just living my life normally. I'm just being a normal guy, or I should name the pillars. Number one, family life. Number two, God-fearing. In fact, let's separate two into two things. Number two, God-fearing. Number three, devotion. 
Number four, giving or generosity. Then number five, prayer. These five things were the pillars upon which Cornelius' encounter happened. And Cornelius' encounter was a major marker in the church and in the heavens. So Cornelius must have thought, you know what, I'm just living a normal life, doing what I should. But there was something that he did that many did not do. When the Bible records something about a person, it is because heaven also records it. For heaven to say Cornelius gave generously. To give is one thing, but to be a generous giver is another thing. You remember when we were small and you asked that last born in your family, yeah, I'm the last born, but I was not selfish. <laughs> but you know that last born, maybe last born and only girl. Have you seen those children? And they, they're the ones that, you know, the dad will buy everything for. They had access to all the snacks. All they needed to do was do their face somehow, you know, and they, they just had access. And the way you tell them, ah, ah, give me now, just give me a little. They will take the biscuit that's as big as this and they will just break the tip and give you. And the way you say, ah, ah, how can you be so selfish? They will start to cry, mommy. And you say, it's okay, it's okay. Thank you, thank you. They will, and you eat the biscuits and go. They gave. But they did not give generously. <laughs> Machi. They did not give generously. So there are many Christians who give, but they are not generous givers. They give their time, but they don't give generously. They give their prayers, but they don't give generously. They give their loyalty, but they don't give their loyalty generously. They give their support, but they don't give their support generously. They give their love, but they don't give their love generously. They give money to the pastor, to the church, but they don't give generously. Oh, by the way, somebody sent me fruits today. God bless you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then someone else sent me this journal. Can you see the journal? So beautiful. God bless you. I love it. In fact, the message I'm going to compose with this journal is say it Allah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Thank you. God bless 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 you. I am very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. So to those who give generously. So it says, but he gave generously. The Bible marked it. So it says one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have become, have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now say, no, you need to hear me. It says your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering. And you remember when I was talking to you about um, people who, <laughs> it feels weird reading from a Bible, right? Yeah. We don't read from Bibles anymore, but it's really good, really good. You know, so let's go back to reading scriptures, turning scriptures, marking scriptures. I know there's technology, but there's just something it does and it forces you to want to get in there. Um, so um, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said that two things had come up to God, his prayers and his gifts, his prayers and his gifts, his prayers and his gifts. Now, 
you may say his gifts to the poor. I know when we think about the poor, we always think about just the people on the streets. Yes, probably those were who Cornelius was giving to. But for us as believers, there are different kinds of poverty. There are people who are poor in spirit. There are people who are poor emotionally. There are people who are poor um, psychologically. There are people who are poor in their bodies. There are people who are poor morally. There are people who are poor spiritually. There are different kinds of poverty. You know, as a matter of fact, I remember the first time that the Lord taught me the meaning of poverty. It was a dream I had. And in the dream, I was surrounded by many pastors and many ministers of the gospel. And they were saying, oh, this is the EC, this is the EC, this is the EC getting back. Okay, tell us, prove, almost like prove yourself, prove yourself. This was like eight years ago and maybe even nine years ago. And they said, prove yourself, tell us why, what is it about you? Why should we give you a, an audience? Why should you stand? Why should you lead the people? I said, nothing, no, that there's nothing about me, really. And they said, no, no, we can see that you've already been chosen. So tell us something we need to know. I said, I don't know what to teach you people. You people are all great people. And one of the pastors who is a, a father in the land said to me, now tell us, teach us about poverty. What, what is the meaning of poverty? And as soon as I opened my mouth, the Holy Spirit began to teach me. And in the dream, I began to say, poverty is not the absence of money. Poverty is not the absence of um, resources. I said, poverty is actually something deeper that is rooted um, in something that began in the beginning. I said, when you go back to Genesis chapter three, that is when poverty was introduced into the world. I said, in that moment, when Satan said to the woman, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. I said, that was when poverty was introduced into the world. And that was when the door of poverty was opened because Satan made the woman feel that she was lacking something. And that sense of lack and that feeling of lack is the spirit of poverty that makes you feel that you don't have what you should have. And I said in the dream, I said, and the moment the spirit of poverty is open in the life of a person, the person is bound to sin against God because you feel the need to use your efforts to accumulate what you believe you are lacking. And I said, that is poverty. And in the dream, the minister said, well done. And I woke up. And so as soon as I woke up, I knew that God was trying, was, was educating me so that he may shut a door that Satan was trying to open up in my life. Because I was in a season where I was going through multiple pain. I was going through multiple struggles. I was going through multiple issues. And so it was affecting the knowledge of my personal, of my, of my, of myself. And it was affecting my identity. And I was beginning to feel like I was lacking. I was beginning to feel like I was not enough. And so I believe the reason why God made me have that dream was that God was trying to say to me, hey, Satan is trying to put you into a, a season of lack. And make you feel like you are not sufficient. And if you fall for it, what you're going to do is what Eve did. You're going to stretch your hand. You will think you are still doing something holy and spiritual. But you're going to be stretching your hand for self for, for survival. And it says, every time man moves for personal survival, he can never birth the good of God on the earth. And so that was a stern warning for me. And I went into a fast in that season and I began to pray. And I began to say, God, show me the sufficiency that I have in you so that I may not move in my own strength, so that I will not try to cover my own self, but help me to know that you are my covering and you are my abundance. So, and that was my prayer for like a period of a week. 
and until God healed my heart and brought me back into a place of confidence. So I, I believe that that word may be for somebody who is listening to me and, you know, an attack that Satan wants to release over your life. I just pray that in the name of Jesus, that God gives you the capacity to see that door that is being opened and to shut it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, and so Cornelius said, um, and the angel said, because of your prayer and what you give to the poor, it has come up to God as a memorial. What I'm doing today, I believe, or this seven days is registered in heaven as a memorial because I'm trying to bring the wealth of the kingdom to the poor areas and the hearts and the spirit of men. I'm trying to bring the wealth of revelation to the areas of deficiency of sight. I'm trying to bring the wealth of understanding to the areas of ignorance. I'm trying to bring the wealth of the confidence in the spirit to the areas where our heads have become bowed and our shoulders have been brought down by the weight of trouble. He says, because of your prayers and your gifts to the poor, he says, it has come up to God as a memorial offering. He says, um, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, when the angel that spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was on his, one of his attendants. He told them everything that had just happened and sent them to Joppa. Why am I reading the scripture? Because we're talking about sacrifice. Now, we all know the story that happened because while this was happening to Cornelius, if I know while after the angel had appeared to him and he sent the men to go get Peter, Peter, where he was, was at the rooftop waiting for the food to be ready. And then he falls asleep. And as Peter falls asleep, and a, a vision appears and we know the whole story of Peter rice kill and eat and he's like no I cannot eat anything you've called unclean you know um, anything that is unclean I cannot eat it and then God says anything I've called clean is clean get up and eat it so Peter is having this dialogue in his spirit because something is about to happen I'm telling you the reason why God is triggering a dialogue in your spirit. The reason why God is shifting things in your heart and he has put you on the seven day fast and he has forced you to get up in the morning and get on a Zoom call and you are writing at 5 a.m. in the morning and then you rush back for work. Cook, please, everybody hurry up. I need to go and settle down. I have access. The reason why you are doing it and you have so much grace for it is because something is about to happen. Something is about to happen. God is sending, Cornelius is sending the soldier and his men to come get you. Cornelius is sending people to your house because you are the one that carries the key to the next season of their life. You are the one that carries the solution that they need. You are the one that carries the solution that the nation needs. You are the one that carries the world, the word for Africa. They are sending people to your house to come get you, not to arrest you, but to give you favor. Because something is about to shift in the generation of the earth. Something is about to shift in our generation. And it's going to happen upon the backs of our individual responses to this word called access. So here is God saying, Peter, I have given access to you. Do not reject. Do not push away any of these things because they have come from me. But Peter could not get it. 
So God had to do it three times for it to register in Peter's mind. The reason why God is making us do 14 whole sessions just to talk about access is because he cannot afford for you to not understand it. He cannot afford for September to pass and you do not understand how to enter through gates and seasons. God is doing everything he can to make sure that he inscribes the revelation of the fact that you have access into your spirit. Why? A shift is coming. A shift is coming. A major shift is about to hit every one of us. Like I said to you, some of you are going to be called. Some of you are going to be forgiven of debts suddenly. Debts for, 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 um, forfeited. They are going to tell you, you know what? Some policy came up and you don't have to pay this. For some of you, you're going to have some of the biggest opportunities in your life. Some of you, you're going to be called to buy a hundred acres, a thousand hectares of land. And it's not false. The government of the land will tell you, come and buy it. And that land is going to appreciate and that land is going to become a safe haven in another seven years to come. You're about to receive some unreal opportunities. And when they happen, please mark my words. It is not because God just wants you to have money. You must remember the behavior of royalty. A king knows that his wealth is not his wealth. His wealth is for the nation that he captains. A king knows that his increase is not just for him. It is for the people that he carries. As these things begin to happen, remember today. Remember that Apostle Isi told you that the wealth that a king has is for the nation that he captains. Remember it. So something was shifting in Cornelius's life and something was shifting in Peter's, Peter's theology. And the reason why these two dimensions of shifts were happening is because there was about to come forth a revival that would break everything that the people have ever known. And so when God begins to move kings and priests at the same time, a revival is about to be born. Cornelius was a king in his own right. Cornelius was a centurion, and centurions were high-ranking officials in the land. And Peter was an apostle, and he was a high-ranking official in the church. The moment God begins to move the kings and the priests at the same time and creates a road of access where both of them can meet at a certain point, it is because a major transition is about to happen. It's about to happen. So what is going on right now is God stirring the waters and God enlightening us so that the moment you see the door, you don't turn your back on it. So that the moment you see the gate, you don't run away from it. So that when you see the python around the door, you don't say, no, this is not God's door because I have already taught you. And so you see, Peter, as soon as he comes out of that vision, they say to him, hey, there are people in the house of Cornelius waiting for you. And Peter understood that what God was saying was go, go and meet them. The Holy Ghost said to him, follow them. And he followed and he got to Cornelius' house. And as Peter, the Bible says, Cornelius once again gathered everybody in his house. Listen, if you are going to be a man that God will use to provoke an outpouring, 
You must be a man that knows how to share your encounters and revelation. Cornelius gathered his family. He always knew how to gather people to serve God, to obey God, to hear God, to receive from God. So God was able to trust that Cornelius would be the foundation of the next move in the lives of the Gentiles because he knew that Cornelius would not hide it. Cornelius would spread it. Can God trust you to spread his new move? Are you a silent or secret believer? You know, there was one prayer way we did, I think two months ago, where I was teasing. And I said, some of you come to praying and you are so blessed and you receive of it, but you never tell anybody. You are hiding behind everything. You are often using Zoom that you make sure your name is not showing. But you are being blessed. You act like you never listen to my sermons, but you are being blessed. Your life is changing. You pray. I am grateful to God for it. And I remember doing that prayer and I said, please, I don't want to be your side chick. Side chick is the one that they enjoy, they love. Ah, such goodness. But never let the people know that they are in your life. I'm not a side chick apostle. You understand what I'm saying? There's nothing I'm doing here that is to be hidden. Tell the world. Put it out. Put, up, put it up on your story. Put it up on a post. And say, look. God has been pouring onto, into me in the past seven days. Do you know how many people will come and be blessed because you said it? Do you know how many people will change their decision making simply because you testified? This is not about popularity. If there's one thing I have found out in this life is that it is not people that make people popular. It is God. When God is ready for you, he gives the ear of a generation to you. So that even if you say, ah, you will see, ah, will be trending everywhere. They'll put pictures. Ah, this is the ah season. Hey, hey, apostle said it's an ah time. Ah, that makes no sense normally. It will make sense to a generation. Haven't you seen it? When God releases the voice of a man over a generation, everybody just wants to hear what you have to say. So if there's anything I have found out is that, it is, I don't need people talking about me for me to be popular. God does it. He will blow, boom, your name to every altar, every church, every generation, every year. So that the sermons you've been teaching for 20 years, all of a sudden it becomes sweet to the whole world. Exactly. God just needs to stare it. So I'm not saying talk about it so that people will know who I am. No, I don't need it. But I'm saying that there was a marker of Cornelius's life. Cornelius was a sharer. Cornelius was a gatherer. Cornelius was a person that knew how to send the link to 50 people. I, I, I know you probably don't know this person, but I have been so blessed. Cornelius knew how to steward testimonies. And he came up with publicity plans by which he could draw people into what he had received. Starting from his all his family, he told everyone, listen, something is going on. When you come back from school, finish your assignments quickly because 7 p.m., we are all joining Zoom call. Oh yeah, everybody gather, your barrel, your paper. This access, we will all access it together. That was the manner of man that Cornelius was. So by the time Peter arrived Cornelius' house, people had gathered and all of them sat down. And so Peter began to think, what, what am I here for? 
It is one thing to preach the gospel to the Jews who all your life you have been told are God's chosen people. But it is another thing to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Where do I start from? So Peter started wherever he could. There was a man called Jesus. I'm sure the way Peter was even teaching it was like, um, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, this may be hard for you guys to understand, um, but I'm just going to start like um, Christianity for dummies. Yeah. Um, so does anybody here know Abraham? Have you ever heard of Abraham? Yeah, you have. Okay, great, great, great. Um, so th th this is what happened. He had a lineage. So I'm sure Peter was just preaching the thing shall somehow. The Bible says, while he was, in fact, I went back to the other apostles. And they said to him, what's this we're hearing? You went to connect. Peter said, people, calm down. Because this one is, Peter said, everybody calm down. This one is more than us. He says, whilst I was yet speaking, whilst I was yet trying to say to them, see, see, see what's happening. He said, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. It's one thing for the Holy Ghost to enter a room or to come upon, but it's another thing for the Holy Ghost to fall. Do you know what it means? <laughs> While Peter was talking, he just said, hey, look at Cornelius, look at wife, look at Cornelius' daughters. He's not even baptized them yet with water. The Holy Ghost scattered the protocol. He scattered the order. He scattered Peter's head. So Peter could not even coordinate the service. He could not even do ushering. He was just looking. What is going on? He said the Holy Ghost fell. Let me tell you, there is a certain outpouring that happens that has nothing to do with the protocols of men. There are yet portions reserved for the church that previous generations have never seen. There are moves of God that look nothing like our Sunday services. I'm telling you. And that is what the Lord is pressing for. That's why he's teaching you about access. So that when you see that move, you will not reject it. So that when God says, rise, kill and eat, you will not say, no, me, I can't. So it does not look like what I'm used to. Because the doors I'm telling you about are not the doors that have been opened before. It is the doors that are just about to be opened by you. So you have to get used to the novelty of the spirit realm. The Bible says that the angels and all the elders that stand around, that sit around him, he says they cry, holy, holy. Do you know what the word holy is? It's kadosh. It's newness, such as has never been seen before. So holy is like, what? how they say, we say, wow. That's the wow of the spirit realm. Holy, holy, holy. This is who God is. So any man that will be relevant in the scheme of God and eternity must be used to novelty. You must be fine with it. So Peter is standing there in his apostolic regalia and he sees a move that has nothing to do with the Torah and all the things he has ever studied in his life. The Holy Ghost did not come down like he did on the day of Pentecost because they did not describe him as falling on the day of Pentecost. Do you know what it means for a person to fall? Have you fallen before? In Nigeria, for those of you that are not Nigerians, there's a manner of fall that they call yakata. Yakata is a fall that you fall where no part of your body is in your control. Yakata is the kind of fall you fall that when you see that you have fallen, you don't want to get up again. Yakata is a fall that when you fall it in a public place, 
Don't move your head. Pretend that you have fainted because Yakata is a disgraceful fall. People have to come and beg you to arise when you fall, Yakata. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Bible says that the Holy Ghost fell Yakata on the people. There was no protocol. There was no order. He did not even look as if he understood how things should be done. He just came. The baby that was soaking breast was shouting. The mothers. So Peter was like, what is this? This looks nothing like the one that came down with protocol. He first, he first blow wind. I'm coming, I'm coming. There was a sound. And when he entered the upper room, fire, and the fire looked like tongue. And then the tongue split into multiple tongues and came upon them. And not, you know, whilst he was yet speaking, everywhere, such a move is about to happen again. And that move is about to happen on the backs of men that are like Cornelius. People who understand the power of sacrifice. People who know that the day that you pull out 20,000 Naira from your 21,000 Naira, heaven sees it. And then somebody who is in need, you say to the person, look, honestly, this is all I have. But your problem is greater than my problem. So you eat first. At least me, I have food at home. You, you cannot feed your children. So you eat first. Heaven sees it. The day you are tired and they call you, ah, ah, sister, chosen. Hey, please, oh, my, 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 my children. Hey, pray for me, pray for me. You did not say, ah, look, you are in my prayers. And as soon as they hung up, <sighs> sister chosen, you got up. Even though you had just come back from work at 11, and the person called you 11.30 when the sleep was just beginning. You know that stage? You still got up from your bed and you began to say, Heaven saw it. Your sacrifice. It is the sacrifices of men that provoke the outpouring of God. It is the sacrifices of men that moves apostles into the new realms that they should get to. Peter did not know that this new thing that he was the one that was heralding was a product of the sacrifice of a man called Cornelius. So I'm sitting here, I'm preaching. There's an outpouring coming out of me. And you say, ah, P.I., if you know me very well, I don't know how to receive praises because... I'm not deceived. I'm not deceived into thinking that any of this thing is me. I know my sacrifice is But I know that part of the greatest flow of the spirit is a product of the hunger of the people. When the people are hungry, it pulls from the man of God. So Peter was accessing something new. He could have gone back and said, you know, um, in the day that the Gentiles received the gospel, I was the, the tool that the Lord used. But was he really the tool? Was it not Cornelius? Was it not one man's diligence in seeking after God? Even though he didn't really know the God, but he had a heart. He gave. It provoked even the church to enter its new season. So those of you that stand outside the church and say all kinds of things, 
Oh, the, 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 the church has no power. This is not how the church should be. We don't even understand what all these people are doing. Hey, she has woken up now. We hear her name is Apostle. All these prophets, they just go around and say, oh, be coming down. You want a new move? Then you provoke the move. You want a new day over the church? Cornelius provoked a new day. What the apostles entered into was a product of Cornelius' sacrifice. Where is your sacrifice that warrants you to have a voice concerning the affairs of the church? Where is your sacrifice that warrants you to place a demand on the people that are struggling in their own little revelation and grace to bring the best that they can bring to the kingdom? Where is your sacrifice that warrants you to decide how they should do it? Where is your sacrifice? In this generation, everybody that has a voice thinks that they should speak. But to have a voice and a tongue in the physical does not equate to having authority in the spirit. As a matter of fact, in the spirit realm, if you speak before you have authority, it exposes you and makes you a prey to the kingdom of darkness. So there are some things you should never speak about until you have attained the authority that covers you when you enter the conversation in the realm of the spirit. Because every time you speak, you expose yourself. And exposing yourself without authority makes you a prey. Because every time you talk about a person, you are entering the realm where the person is engaging from. And if it is not a realm you have mastery over and you have authority over, you'll be taken down there. So some people are fighting wild beasts on certain levels. And then you, you come and say, why? This person is just, you know, talking... They are scarred and their scars is because of where they are worrying from. So you now pull yourself into where they are when you have not even arrived at the kind of authority that should give you access into that gate. You just throw yourself into a battle that you don't have the arsenal or the artillery to fight in. Very, very important. There are some people that people will tell me about, ah, have you noticed... <laughs> I don't have anything to say. Hey, really? It may not really be like that. Too. You know, sometimes people have different struggles. You know, some, it's not because I'm a fool. To gossip is sweet. To condemn is one of the sweetest things in this world. Because as you are condemning, it is doing something to your own self-righteousness. It is fanning to flame. The demonic on the inside of you. It's not the gift of God is funny. It's funny to flame the brokenness on the inside of you. It is funny to flame the unhealed parts on the inside of you. So to condemn is sweet. So when I shut my mouth, it's not because I don't have the same information. Sometimes I will have much more than you have. But it is because I also understand that I am not prepared to fight in the space where this person is fighting. I have not been equipped to do battle there. So I have no interest in going there. I hope you are with me. So Cornelius provoked a move in the church. He opened a door of access even to the Gentiles through his sacrifice. So as we speak about sacrifices and access, I want you to remember one thing. First thing I need you to remember I mean, I've said a couple of things about sacrifice, but one thing I need you to remember is sacrifices 
have a strong connection to do with blood. And I need you to stay with me. In Leviticus 17 verse 11, the Bible says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So sacrifices have the power to atone for sins and to restore a right relationship with God. Now, whose blood do we now stand in to say is an atonement for our sins? It's the blood of Jesus. And we know that the life of a thing is in the blood. So the moment the blood of Jesus was shed abroad for our sins, the life of Jesus was, re was released to us. Now, but even us as believers, do you also know that there are sacrifices you make that is actually passed down to your bloodline? There was, um, it was Timothy, I believe, that it was speaking about him and it was saying, the faith that you now have is the same faith that was seen in your mother and your grandmother, Louise. So there was a sacrifice that was made to achieve faith that was that filled the life of the grandmother. It became her life. And so it was passed down through her bloodline. The reason why many things that we do, the next generation doesn't get it, is because we do it half and half. So it has not fully encapsulated you and become your life. So there are many people that believe prosperity for money, but they don't believe the life of prosperity. To believe that in my soul, I am prosperous. My emotions are prosperous. I cannot get depressed because I believe that I prosper in my soul. So the same kind of faith that you use to get promotion, you must believe it, that promotion is a life that you live. As you meet the milestones of your destiny, you will be promoted. I need you to understand what I'm talking about. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So if a person really has received the blood of Jesus, so that means it must reflect in everything that you do. It must be your life. There's a way you can so receive the, the values of the kingdom that it goes from being external parameters you meet into becoming an internal life that you have. So that by the time you have children, Isaac can become a worthy carrier of the covenant you have received. Jacob can become a worthy carrier of the covenant that Isaac has received. Why? because some things are passed down through the blood. And so there is a way, and what God is calling us to in this season is to make the kind of sacrifices that like Cornelius, it can guarantee not just us, but our lineage and our household safe passage to the matters and the goodness and the inheritance of God. Another thing about your sacrifice, number two, is that your sacrifice is an expression of your devotion and gratitude. Your sacrifice is an expression of your devotion and your gratitude. So there's a parable in the Bible about a man who was forgiven his debt. His master forgave him. 
And another person that owed him even much less asked him for forgiveness. And he took the man and locked him up. And when the master heard what he had done, he said, oh, you, I forgive you this. But this person that is owing you less, you couldn't forgive them. Listen, a person that is able to rightly evaluate the weight of sacrifice that God made to get him to where he is, that person can never be a selfish person. Never. That person can never be a person that you wake up to pray and they say, ah, please, I cannot pray. It can never be one of those people that stand in churches and while the praise and worship is going on, you are just there. And already the choir finished singing, you are like, and then you tell your spouse, that was a good one. That's a good one. Good choir, they sing well. <laughs> you have not seen God before. It just tells me you don't know how to rightly evaluate what has been given to you. Sacrifice is a proof that you are grateful for who you are and what you have. And then it's a show of your devotion to the one who gave it to you. Are we together? It's your show of a devotion. There are some people, in fact, there's, there's one of my mentors or as he were that recently needed me to do something. And, you know, it was like, oh, you know, let's have a conversation. Let, you know, the conversation was just going left and right. Hey, do you know I had to say, please, please stop. I said, I need you to know that I don't joke with you. I said, I know everything that you have done for me and how it has contributed to my life, to my sanity, to my peace, to my joy. I said, so I am not ungrateful. I said, so anything you want, just tell me. As long as it's in my power, I will do it. You don't even have to think about it or try to phrase the manner of the asking. Just say, I want I say I will do it. It's the same thing as my mother. There's nothing that that woman asked me for in this life that as long as it's in my power that I will not do it for her. She just needs to say it. Even when it's not in my power, I go outside my power to find a way to get it done. Because there was never a day that I asked my mother for anything that she did not look for how to get it done for me. There was nothing that she did not find a way to get it done. So I am obligated to take care of her in any way that she wants. In the same way I said to him, I said, look, anything, sir, just tell me. I will do it. I said, no, it doesn't even have to make sense to me. I don't have to go back and be analyzing. Well, actually, sometimes you have to because you need to be smart, you know, because sometimes I don't need it. That's how I am. When you... <laughs> People who meet me at my time of need, I don't forget to. I don't forget. When you see me five years later, and you'll be saying, Pia, why do they let this person treat you like a fool? Because they are deserving of it. In this life, there must be at least three people that hold your mumu button. Do you understand what I'm saying? That hold your, in Nigeria, we call it mumu button. Basically, it's like that remote control. 
that once they press it, anything they need you to do, you, you do it. There must be at least three people in this life that can get you to do anything. Because I want to believe at least three people have contributed meaningfully to your life at the times where you were in the lowest. Never forget it. A person who sacrifices for you to become. Please do not judge them in the future based on the weight of maybe one mistake they make. Judge them based on the weight of the sacrifice that they made for you. Never forget sacrifices. It is part of the nature of God's. Have you seen, I have seen a lot of things in my faith. I have seen where women go for deliverance at 28 years old, 30 years old. And they'll tell them in the deliverance, a deity will speak and say she cannot marry. Her mother came to us for a child. And the condition upon which we gave the child is that she must return the child to us as a sacrifice when the child turns so, 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 so age and that the child cannot marry. We see it all the time in Africa. So you, the mother do not go back and say, mommy, I went to a mountain of fire for prayer. See what I heard. Is it true? The mother now say, oh, 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 oh. I have forgotten my daughter. Oh, my daughter. Ha, I forgot. The spirits don't forget. They don't forget any legal contract that is signed. And legal contracts are signed by sacrifice. Sacrifices seal the agreements that are made on altars. I need you to understand what I'm talking about. So when a person makes a sacrifice for you, you cannot forget it. Because in the spirit realm, God will look at you and say, what? How can you be so ungrateful? How can you be so forgetful? And then people will sit down and be dividing the person on the table. You will join them and pour barbecue sauce on top. May heaven have mercy on you. I have had to repent. I've had to repent. So anybody that has made a sacrifice for me, I've had to get to a point where I'm like, you know what? I choose to remember you by your sacrifice. Not by your mistakes, by your sacrifice. I may not necessarily still have a relationship with you. Maybe based on your own decision or maybe life tears us apart. But I choose to remember you by your sacrifice. The day your son or your daughter shows up at my doorstep or shows up in my meeting, even if they are at the back of a line of a thousand people and they come and tell me, P.I., somebody said they are the daughter of, the, I will tell everybody, stop, please go and call them. Sacrifice. Sacrifices provoke memorials. He says to Cornelius, it has come up. It is a memorial in heaven. That means anywhere Jesus is driving past in heaven, as he's moving, they will see one tall, tall statue, like Statue of Liberty in heaven. And they call it the sacrifices and prayers of Cornelius. So that there is no day that God or the heavenly host or the angels or the elders or the cherubims ever forget that there's a man called Cornelius. Do you know what that means? For the entire force, the most superior force in all existence to know your name. The most superior force in the heavens and the earth to recognize you, not by your current mistakes, but by your sacrifices that are memorials in heaven. 
This is why some men have favor. Because you'll be looking at them and say, ah, but this person that we still saw him in this club yesterday is called sacrifice. You remember that story of when God had given the children of Israel a word and told them, you will go, you will win, you will take the nation. They were moving by prophecy. Sacrifice has run prophecy. <laughs> Somebody needs to hear me today. Sacrifice outran prophecy. By prophecy, they were to take the land. By prophecy, they were winning the war. And the king looked. And when the king saw that he was about to lose, the Bible says he ran to his house. He took his first son. He sacrificed the lineage of the throne. He sacrificed it. Even though he did a wrong, crazy thing. The Bible says upon the wall, he slew his son. And as soon as he did that, the battle changed. Let me tell you, I, I wish I could open to my notes on that particular study. But let me tell you a couple of things that happened. By, when he slew the child, the Bible says that upon the wall, he killed the child. What he did, actually, when he says wall, that wall he talked about was also the Hebrew word for stairs. When he killed the child, a staircase was opened to the heavens. I need you to hear me. And so he says, and the children of Israel, it says, and fear came upon, actually, in the original Hebrew word, was terror. And it is the terror of when um, something supernatural attacks and you cannot comprehend it. So when he offered that sacrifice, terror came upon the children of Israel. They could not understand what was going on with them. Every man just became discouraged. Everybody became sad. They just started saying, ah, Joshua, I think we have lost. Let's just go home. They could not understand what happened to them. Have you seen when a man is, it is like the man is under a spell. One minute, he loves his home. Not just men, women. So if you're a man, hear me. It is not only a man that can be enticed and drawn away. Women are being drawn away by men that are more desperate that are, than their husbands and are willing, even though they have not put a ring on the finger of the woman, they are making more sacrifices than the husbands are making. Can I go there? Is it okay if I just push a little further past our gate of convenience? I need to hear the response before I say the things on my mind. Yes, Apostle, yes. go there, please. Let me go there. Fantastic. Please Thank continue, you. continue. This is why some people are losing their marriages. Because there is a generation of desperate single people. Desperate people who, not just single, because it's one thing to be single, it's another thing to be demonized. Those are two different things. Not every single person is demonized, but some people are demonized, even some married people. To the point where, and you know, the manifestations of the demonic is in the culture of the people. So what was captivity? Ah, oh, Father God, Shebalahai. What was captivity in Egypt? It was in a set of cultures. There was a way the Egyptians dealt with the, with the Hebrew people, and it was normal. Any Egyptian that was born three years after Joseph, saw nothing wrong with slavery. Absolutely nothing wrong. It was culturally accepted by them. So a system of living that was backed up by a satanic entity in the spirit realm became normal to a people 
by culture. And so by culture, we are raising a generation of demonically manipulated women on the streets of Nigeria and the rest of the world. Who, by culture, they don't see anything wrong. We're sleeping with someone else's husband. They will even tell you, you better be grateful that I sent him back to you at 2 a.m. Because to them, it's normal. So somebody was talking to me there. I said, how could she? How could... I said, how could she not? It is your holiness that is crying. It is her corruption that is at peace. Why won't she be okay? Because based on her spiritual cultures and based on her spiritual value systems, there is nothing wrong with it. I need you to understand what I'm talking about. So you then understand that there are some people who are not even demonized, but they understand the power of sacrifice. So you that you are in the house, I preached it when we did our back to Eden conference. So now women, let's talk. You that you are in the house, the same undergarments in Benin City, they call it pints. People abroad call it panties. Normal people call it pants. Benin people call it pints. They say pints that you have been wearing since you got married in 2007 is the pint that you have the audacity to wash and dry in the bathroom. And then you complain to me. I don't know why, Pierre, he doesn't even find me attractive. Auntie, I don't find that pint attractive at all either. Do you understand? The same uh, nightwear that you bought, that in fact we gathered to buy for you in the year 2005, is the same nightwear that you are still wearing today. So it has moved from nightwear to night terror. It has moved from nightwear to night persecution. So that every time you wear it, the man is afraid. So then another person is making a sacrifice <clears throat> higher than your sacrifice. And you are angry that they've taken him. It takes a person with spiritual intelligence to not receive a sacrifice that is not meant for his altar. Understand what I'm talking about? Some people take any sacrifice. Once again, I want to take you back to the streets of Benin City. In Benin, there are some dogs they call Ogun dog. Ogun is the name of a, a god. They call the Ogun dog because they eat, once people make their sacrifices in their native ports and all of them, put it at the junctions of different streets. Oh Lord, I could teach on access forever. They use it to open the doors over locations, over streets, over territories. Ogun dogs eat anything as the, 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 the juju man or the fetish priest is dropping the, the sacrifice. You will see an Ogun dog the next day feasting on it. They will finish the sacrifice. In fact, the Fanta you leave there, they will drink it. Eat anything. Some people are like Ogun dog. They receive any sacrifice they see. And they do not consider, is this acceptable to my altar? 
The reason why some people are drawn away by certain sacrifices is because they do not know the protocols of their altar. But a person that knows the protocol of his altar, no matter the sacrifice a man or a woman outside makes, you know you cannot receive it because it is not yours to take. Now, if your altar is not on fire, their sacrifice can come and because it's a dormant altar. No fire, no power, no sacrifice on it. So it is laid dormant. Their own sacrifice can become the overarching voice of your altar. So that the structure you set up to keep you aflame for the Lord will become the structure that begins to propagate another demonic agenda. And I hope you are understanding what I'm saying. So you have to understand that part of what the Lord is asking us to do is to understand the power of sacrifice. So this king who was a hidden king understood sacrifice more than the children of Israel. So they were riding on the prophecy of God, we will win. Okay, let's go to battle. They thought the only sacrifice they were made is a few men dead. They did not know who they were going to fight with in the battle. But this man understands the interconnected workings of the realm of the spirit. So somebody, you, you heard that your wife is in love with somebody else outside. Your first move is to put it on Instagram. Your first move is to call family meeting. Onku estele ikava ishombele ekendu askepra duvrekahaya. You have to retreat and re-engage the altar structure of your home. And ask yourself, how was I here as a gatekeeper? And somebody slid in and was able to offer up sacrifices higher than mine. My wife, from worshiping at the altar that I raised into another altar, how did it happen? How did they change the heavens over my head? To open up a space of infiltration into my garden that is my bride. How did it happen? Why I, the gatekeeper, I stood here? Ask yourself the same question as a woman. Because sometimes there are different things at play. It could be that you were not intentional about observing the brokenness of the priesthood of your partner. Because if you realize that the priesthood is not in place, then you should know that an Ogun dog possibility can happen. Where another offers up a greater sacrifice and they can take the one that you have. You see, these things I'm talking about are spiritual. So the first response to have is not to shout and call the world, is to go back and talk to the Lord of the altar. Because the, 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 th the thing that is going on it's not just an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. There is a gate that has been broken. There is a trespass that has happened. The thief has entered into your domain. What will you do? How does a divorce paper solve a satanic infiltration? How does a divorce paper resolve an infiltration of your altar system. You divorce the person. 
Does it change the fact that you have been invaded before? So Satan now knows the way in to your most consecrated places. He now knows the way to your garden. You need to get what I'm saying. So this should become an opportunity for you to learn how to tighten the grip around your altar. Learn all the things that are needed to be done. All the things, all the things, all the things. You come, woman of God, they pass you. The man of God slap your bum up. Please, Shantomara, Haseka. Do not touch the bum bum of the anointed. Uncle, slap it, hold it very well to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The angels will light scented candle for you. This one is a child of the Most High God. Are we still together? Don't leave me after today, because this is the word of the Lord unto you, daughters of Zion. You are married. You have not slept to the man for six months. What's really the issue? What is the problem? Why? What happened? Will not take this thing with us to heaven. It will not be required of you in Zion. So whilst you are yet in this world, maximize it. What is what is the unforgiveness about? What is that thing you can't break? Is it greater than the power of God? Because what is the plan now? Because when I hear things like that, the first question I ask is, okay, so what's the plan? You won't sleep with somebody for eight months. So what's your plan? There must be a plan. And we have to know what the plan is because the marriage is just going to further degenerate into further adultery. Because, and not just from the person, you're also setting yourself up for temptation. And because you need to understand how God configured the human, human being. So you may say to yourself, ah, you don't know me. Me, I'm strong. Me, I'm hard. You see that's strong, that you are strong. The walls you build to keep one person out is the same walls that will lock you in. So that in the day where the lover is coming to your garden, you will no longer understand a certain measure of vulnerability. You don't understand. You no longer understand vulnerability. So there's a way you cannot romance Jesus. Because you don't know, you have put up so much walls in your heart as a woman. The very marriage that was meant to be the greatest flame that teaches you how to have companionship and communion with the Lord. You have blocked up the flame. Who told you that there will not be days you will feel like Jesus has disappointed you? Who told you that? There have been times when I was crying and I said, Ah, I can't believe you do this to me, Lord. I can't believe this to me, Lord. My heart is broken, Jesus. But I had to get up the next day and remember that I, I'm, I don't have the power to forgive. There's nothing for me to forgive God. But I, I have the responsibility to go back to the world and re-evaluate why God has not disappointed me. It's part of the responsibilities of my priesthood. Because I cannot just sit with it and say, ah, but anyway, he's Lord. No, I'm still bearing a grudge against the Almighty. 
So I have to allow the word permeate my heart and read all the reasons why God cannot fail. And God does not disappoint. And then it opens a gate of another level of communion with the Lord. In the same way, who told you that there will never be a day that your spouse will disappoint you? Who told you that? Forget social media. Oh, that glitters is not gold. The grass is not greener. I say it, that it's not that the grass is not greener on the other side. In fact, there's no grass there. It's AI that they are using to generate the information they are feeding you. It's not real. In fact, there's something that my brother Apostle told me we say, he'll say, the grass is the the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass looks greener, but nobody tells you the price of the water bill. So keep that green grass. They don't tell you how much they are paying for water. So who told you you will not be disappointed? So is it possible to go back to God and rediscover all the reasons why? Because one failed, the marriage has not ended. Will you allow the Lord penetrate and permeate your heart? Listen, when you go through a process like that, there's no way you don't become a new man. I said there's no way. Because what is happening to you is that the borders of your spirit are expanding. You are entering into depths of understanding what it means for God to be God. What it means for him to look at Israel that he calls his bride, his own. And consistently, Israel behaves as an adulterous nation. They use him. They cry out to him, God, we need you, God, we need you. He saves them. And then five years later, they are dancing in front of Baal and calling him the greatest. But yet they cry out once again, he saves them again. Now you begin to understand what it means to be a God. So when we say we are gods, we are gods, it's not just for the good things. Because you see, this is what keeps you humble, your sacrifice. Because when you gauge your sacrifice, against your wealth, your wealth ceases to, ceases to have the hold it used to have on you. It ceases to have the hold. Why? Because your sacrifice has redefined what wealth looks like. So wealth is no longer money. Wealth is no longer promotion. Wealth is no longer big house. Wealth is now loyalty, truth, peace, Obedience, kindness. So subjecting yourself to the sacrifices of life is what determines the manner of man that you become. Hear me. When you become that manner of person, you stand before doors. You say, lift up your head. It is the gates that will tell you, king of glory coming. Because let me tell you the first mark of Christ is the mark of sacrifice. When you see Jesus, you will see a man that, I, remember my vision. He says, when they're when trying to strike my feet, he says, every time we try to strike our feet, we see the feet of the one who has hole in it. So that means in the spirit realm, the great one is still identified by the sacrifice of the cross. He said to him, put your hand, Thomas, Put your hand through my side. The hole of the spear that pierced him is still there. He said, look at the hole in my hand. The hole is still there. 
So he is marked by his sacrifice forever. So when we say the king of glory is coming, the demonic respects sacrifices. All the realms of the spirit respect sacrifices. Because the other gods, they require a sacrifice of their people. But our God gave himself as a sacrifice to his people. This is what differentiates you as a God ordained by Yeshua from the gods that are ordained by the kingdom of darkness. They take, we give. They receive, we pour out. They hold against the people, we throw away into the seas of forgetfulness. This is what differentiates you. The moment you enter into the configuration of consistent sacrifice, you become an open door in yourself. You sit in front of people and they say, you know, I am compelled to do this for you. And they don't know why. Because you chose to remain open to the standards of God as opposed to the temptations of your flesh to hold grudges against men. You are kind to people. The one who does you wrong, you do them good. The person that uses you, you give them 100 more opportunities to use you. They call you a fool. You wear it like a cloak of honor. Are you with me? Jesus said to them, if they slap one cheek, give them the other cheek. If they take your coat, give them your jacket. If they tell you to go a mile, go 10 miles. This is the power of the ones that hide the keys to the kingdom. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. I want you to say to yourself, I'm a man of sacrifice. Say to yourself, I'm a woman of sacrifice. Say to yourself as you put your hand on your heart, no sacrifice is too hard for me to give. No sacrifice is too much for me to give. Because I'm a daughter of the altar. Sacrifice is how we live. Sacrifice is who we are. I'm a woman of sacrifice. In the name of Jesus. I thought we could enter covenants today as part of the things that keep the doors run an effective gate system. But we have got into this time. It was upon a sacrifice that Solomon received a blessing that made him the richest man that has ever lived. The wealth you are looking for is not in what you take, but what you give. It was upon the sacrifice that Jonathan made to be there for David, to be his friend, 
putting his own throne, possible throne, as the next king of Israel, putting it at risk. It was upon that sacrifice that his generations received mercy and pardon. What will keep your children when you are gone? It's not just the physical things you give them, but the sacrifices you make while you are here on earth. The sacrifice of commitments, the sacrifice of purity, the sacrifice of kindness. When people see your children 50 years from now, 70 years from now, and they say their names, and they say, oh, are you the daughter of um, Akintoko? Are you, the person says yes. What? How will people treat your children? Would they say what? You are that woman's child? You are that man's child? Ah, come, 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 come. Let me tell you what your father did for me. Let me tell you what your mother did. Or will they say, oh, that's your father. Okay, all right. And the person, your child begins to look for a loan for five years. They refuse. Is that the future we want to live? Or we want to live a legacy of sacrifice? When I was growing up, we were seven children. But in my house, we used to be up to 35. We used to be up to 40. I woke up every day and I would see a new face. And you know, we did not even need introductions. Once you see a new person, just say good morning. There was an uncle that lived in our house that it was when I became an adult, I realized that I never knew his name. Because we just woke up one day, we saw one man in our, one of the guest rooms. Every time he wants to talk to you, he say, Maji, Maji, how are you, Maji? Oh, my G. Wow, this banga soup look nice, my G. So we just started calling him my G. Uncle my G. It was when I was getting married, I said, wait, oh, where is Uncle my G? What is his name, Seth? We never knew his name. That was how my house ran. When thieves came to my house, 10 armed robbers came, fully loaded with guns. And they asked everybody, lay down flat in the living room. The living room was a big living room. People laid down. There was no space. So people were lying on top of people. People were lying on the stairs. And then they thought they had rounded up everybody. And the next thing, when they say, so now we want to know what the next thing, somebody is coming back from work. Hey, everybody in this house. And the teacher like, hands up. And then, hey, my God, go and lie down. They go, they go and join the people on the floor. And then the teacher start again. So now this is what we're going to do. We want... And that person is coming back. Hey, where are my people? Hands up. And the person hands up. Then go and lie down. They go and lie down. After like the fifth person, the team said, now I want to know how many people exactly are in this house? How many? And we say, sir, we, we don't really know. We are like 35. We're like, how many people you been? What are you like this in this house? What is wrong with you? The teams were angry at the numbers. Because the numbers were affecting their logistics. Just when they thought we have the whole house, somebody else is coming back. What is wrong with this family? That's how I grew up. There was one time it was so bad. I didn't even have a closet to keep my clothes. So there was a store where they keep mattresses, keep everything. I looked for one wood, small wooden corner in the store. And I arranged my things in there. And then I had one chair I put in front of the wardrobe. So they used to laugh and call it Isis Embassy. 
When they say, where is Isi? They say, ah, go and look, check, look for her in her embassy. And you see me there. My, my sisters will say, Isi, what is this now? How can you put load inside this place? I will just clear everywhere else and look for a corner for myself. So till today, I'm still a corner person. I, once, once I can have my space, I'm fine. I don't, I'm not trying to be everywhere. I just want to be all right. And so my mom one day came to me and said, my daughter, I am sorry. I know I'm the one that gathers everybody. And look at you, my child, looking for where to keep your clothes. You have clothes in boxes. She said, my daughter, I'm sorry. People that are not my children are hanging their clothes on, in wardrobes. But my own, you are folding. And I said to her, I said, mommy, do you know I don't even feel it? I'm okay, I'm fine. I said, as long as everybody is fine, I'm fine. And you know, my mother will say to us, it is better to give than to receive. It is better for people to take from you than for you to have cheated a person. Overpay than underpay. My mother will say, I know it seems now like I'm depriving you people of things. She said, but I'm heaping blessings on your future. Look, I look at my life now and I look at my siblings and I know that we were a product of the sacrifices of my mother. My father too, because my dad would just come back, tiptoe over everybody's head and go to his room. Sometimes when he's sleeping, my cousins, the ones that are bigger, you know, once you've crossed 21, 25, 24, you're not a big girl in the house. 30. Sometimes they'll go, mommy, mommy, where daddy, please. Maybe people are no longer doing things. I beg, we are sleeping in between both of you. My father will say, backwards or now with me. What is this one again? Even our room, and we will laugh. My house was filled with laughter. So if you know me, I'm still about laughter, community, let us in. That was my house. Laughter, sharing. I look at myself today. And my ability to engage people from different nations, run different teams, enter, blending, be, it's a product of the life of sacrifice we were told to have. Teach your children to sacrifice. Don't tell them to hide their toys when people come to the house. You are shutting the gate of their future favor to them. Teach your children to gather their clothes Follow you to an orphanage and give it to the poor. My son was saying they wanted to sell all the things that we had packed that they were not using again. He said, Mom, we want to have a yard sale. I was so proud of him. I was like, great. He says, ah, my and the neighbors, the other little children that they want to sell. I said, fantastic. And I said to him, I said, so what will you do with the money? He said, oh, we're going to save the money um, for uh, other things. You know, what we want to now do, like, they said they want to do Olympic and they want to do Mother's Day, Father's Day, so that we can buy you people things. We can also buy toys. I said, ah. I said, Nathan, you want to sell your things and then gather the money. I said, have you considered that there are children that are going back to school like you in another week? Some of them don't have shoes to go back to school. I said, do you know that some of them cannot afford their school fees? I said, some of them don't have notebooks. I said, Nathan, let me tell you what you should do. This money 
that you will get from this sale. I said, let us put it towards children that are going back to school. He said, oh, but I really, I said, no, Nathan, it is better to give than to receive. He said, okay, all right, we'll do that. But how do I sell? Will you invite your friends? So friends of mine, I'm inviting all of you. On Saturday, please come and buy my children's things. You know, if I, you don't have to take it with you, you can just pay for it to be given to somebody else, but give pay for pay for something. You know. What am I trying to do? Teach them sacrifice. Teach them sacrifice. There is no altar that runs without a sacrificial system. And there is no altar that has an effective sacrifice that is not an open portal to the heavens. Make sure your enemies are not sacrificing more than you. Make sure. Don't be angry at the slave queens trying to infiltrate your home. Rather, be angry that your prayer life has died. Be angry that your intercession has died. Be angry that your intimacy has died. So I pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that the Lord will stir up our hearts and the Lord will make us wise again. That this access that he wants to give us in nations and in places, that he will give us the capacity to make the needed sacrifices, that in this life, we will know what to give to get what we deserve in the name of Jesus. That we will not be people who only cry about what we should have, but will be people who are willing to make the necessary sacrifices for it. David knew he was anointed to be king. David knew he was separated to be king. But David also paid the price of hiding in caves, running through plains, pretending to be a crazy person when indeed he was saying he made all these sacrifices because he knew that being the king of Israel was a worthy cause to pursue. Make us people of sacrifice. Make us a Cornelius generation. Let us give and give generously. Let us not pretend that our leaders don't need. Let us not harden our hearts towards our fellow Christians. Let us not watch our pastors suffer while we will go on 10 vacations a year. Let us not listen to our friends cry and do nothing about it. Because our sacrifices have got voices in the spirit realm. Our sacrifices are seen as images in the realm of the spirit. May we move from having a dwarf image sacrifice into having a great image sacrifice in the spirit realm. If anyone is struggling, and if anyone has been so broken in the past that they don't know how to give of themselves anymore, Father, I pray that you heal such a person in Jesus' name. Help them to see that the gates that this sacrifice opens is greater than what they are holding on to. Help them to know that journeying forward is more of greater worth than looking backwards. May none of us be like Lot's wife, who became a pillar of salt because she could not access the gate of deliverance that was open to her. She kept looking back, 
But look at what he did. Look at what she said. Look at what they took. Look at how many miscarriages I've had. Look at how much I lost. God, may we not be like Lot's wife. May we see the angel of deliverance and the door of the future open to us. Let all our grace not become salt stuck in a point. But may our saltiness find a place in the future because of the sacrifices we are making in the present. Help us, Holy Spirit. Stir up our hearts once again. Purge our souls. The days when we should have sacrificed and we refused to, Father, forgive us. The vows we made at the altar that we never kept. Lord, have mercy and give us a second chance to keep them. The people we told, I will be there for you. And we were never there for them. Father, help us to have the humility to ask them for forgiveness. Father, sacrifice. The things we should have given up and said no to for the sake of our brother, for the sake of our sister, that we did not do. God, forgive us. The times when we should have covered instead of abusing and tearing the clothes from their back and making them naked in the public square. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us, Lord. We have forgotten the ancient landmarks. We have forgotten the Ten Commandments. We have forgotten the way of God. Have mercy. Please do not let the gates be shut to us anymore. Do not let the doors be slammed at our faces. But God, have mercy. In humility, we ask you to show us where we've gone wrong and to make us givers once again. Teach us, oh God, how to pour out ourselves, how to be people marked by sacrifice. Thank you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we take the wine and we take the bread. Komela sobre higadava somahai. Shimbrona melekaba sobre hidai. Kivambrona mon sombreke dele diva. And we ask, precious Holy Spirit, that Jesus, who is the greatest symbol of sacrifice, who gave his body and gave his blood, so that through these two, we might be saved, we might be delivered. As we take this, we remember Jesus. But do not let us remember Jesus only in our minds and in our hearts. But let the greatest remembrance of Christ be in our changed behaviors, our changed cultures, our changed sacrificial habits. Help us to sacrifice like you, Jesus. For the sake of people that even when we think they are not deserving of it, help us to still give. May we our hearts not become hard. That we watch people hunger and beg and cry and we are not moved to do anything. Take away the heart of stones, Jesus. Give me a heart of flesh, Jesus. May I be compassionate and gracious towards my brothers. May I be compassionate and merciful towards those who hurt me. May I be compassionate and gracious towards those who abuse me. 
Jesus, help me. I want to look like the communion. I want to look like your bread and I want to look like the wine. I want my life to be an image of this communion that I hold. May I also be marked by sacrifice. You said, except we eat it and we drink it, we have no part in you. Except we also are willing to become the cup that a generation drinks from and the bread through which a generation finds healing. Except we are willing for our bodies to be broken and our blood to be shared for the sake of others, we cannot be part of you. Jesus, teach us again the culture of sacrifice. Revive a sacrificial spirit in the church. Until your sacrifice was made, the heavens were not open to you. But when the heavens were open to you and your blood was accepted, generations have been able to enter heaven. Jesus. There are gates we need to open. There are doors we need to open. But until we have a sacrifice worthy of being a code that says access, we cannot access those doors. Show me what I need to give, Lord, for the next season of my life. Show me what I need to give for the next gate of access. Do not let us be foolish. Do not let us be wise in our own eyes, thereby losing out on the blessing of the future. Do not let the economies of the nations we have found ourselves in change the culture of the kingdom. Do not let us, oh God, be people who cannot buy food anymore for our friends. And even when we have the money, we say, ah, this is how we do it here. Everybody must pay. God, do not take away the heart of generosity from us. Have mercy. Teach us how to share. The Bible says that the early church, nobody was poor because everybody gave. Now people are poor in the church. Pastors are poor because the people don't know how to take care of even the shepherds anymore. Have mercy. Heal our hearts. Heal the brokenness of the church. Heal the cracks in our souls. Father, we don't want to hide this skeleton anymore. We don't want, we don't want anymore. Let us call it what it is. A selfish generation, a hardened heart that knows how to care for only self. But the selfish have got no place in the kingdom. Have mercy. As we take this bread, and as I take this wine, let it be healing for my soul. Let it be healing for our souls. Any part of us struggling with this word, let it be healed in Jesus' name. Any part of our identities that were formed from world demonic theologies that is not preventing the access. As we take this communion, let it fight those theologies. And bring us the wisdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Because we now have access 
into abundant grace through your body and your blood. We eat it and we drink it by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Healing for our bodies. Restoration for our souls. Strength for our minds. We have partaken of the table of our Lord. Let it be done unto us according to his sacrifice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Kelamando Sibraha. Sacrifice is a spiritual technology that opens doors. Sacrifice is spiritual wisdom. God's salvation was always marked by sacrifice. The doors we enjoy in the spirit today are a product of the sacrifices of men. So as you go, I ask you, where is your sacrifice? Are you sacrificing to only the things that will benefit you? The Bible says, if you do good for only those that are good to you, where is your sacrifice? If you give to only those that can give back to you, how can you call that a sacrifice? Don't forget, authority in the spirit realm is marked by sacrifice. The heavens opened up to Jesus because he was carrying the blood of his sacrifice. So ask the Lord, what shall I give? Who should I help? What can I give? Change my heart and make me aware of the needs of the people around me. And as you do this, may God bless you. May God show you that this is true. That this is the way of the kingdom. May God restore the dignity of your faith to you. May you not be looked at from heaven and be mocked. Because you look nothing like the faith you've received. May God give you the courage it takes to make sacrifices. As you do this, may God remove the spirit of poverty from you. And may he bless your household. And may he put the heart of generosity that you are praying for today. May he put it in your children also. And may it be the key by which your children open doors also in the future. May no money ever be too great in your eye. May God heal you from the fear of wealth as you give. The higher you go, the more you should give. It breaks pride. It breaks arrogance and selfishness from you. May God heal you. May God heal you. May God heal you. 
to the one who suffered and had to take care of herself. And now she doesn't know how to sacrifice for others. I pray may God heal you from the pain of the years before now so that you can expand and be a leader of many and be marked by your heart, not by your wealth. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you. And may my God be gracious towards you and to your family. And may the doors that your sacrifice were preordained to open, may they be opened unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. 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 And I hear the Lord speaking about forgiveness of sins. And I feel like there are some seeds you're about to sow that will break your lineage out of the sins of your fathers. I hear forgiveness of sins. May God bless you. May God strengthen you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're back at 5 a.m. I'll see you again at 5 a.m. And in the morning, we will pray through and we'll look at the power of covenant in maintaining an effective gate system. This is not the time where you should stop attending. This is the time where you should press in deeper. Invite more friends. Invite more family members. Tell them. Write the messages. Go back. Listen to them. Preach them. Preach them to your colleagues. Preach them to your family. Don't be quiet. Let the word grow in your mouth and in your heart. And may God keep you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll see you in the morning. I love you guys. Bye.